0: Father in heaven, we are so grateful to thee that we can be here in thy house in this morning. Lord, so cold outside, but so thankful that we can be warmed by the fellowship that we can experience together with loved ones of like precious faith and be able to turn to thy word for encouragement and direction in this day. Lord, we're mindful of so many that we've mentioned this morning already that are, are suffering with, with illnesses, and we're sure that there are others that we're not aware of. But Lord, we want to bring them before thee, Brother David, and Brother Rod, Brother Ron, and uh, Brother Vinny's father, Brother Willie Sipcar, and Brother Sasha. Lord, some in far-flung places and dealing with different um, conditions and different risk factors and all of these words that we've heard so much over the last number of years. But Father, we can be so thankful that we know that they all rest in thy hands, that you have ordained their path and will watch over each one of them. Lord, we pray that thy will would be would be to restore each of them to their health and to us, uh, Father, but we pray that our minds and our hearts could be focused about thy will and to be able to receive it as it would be unfolding. Lord, we're mindful of that in in regard to Brother Tom and mourning his loss and his family, um, having to to see his passing this past Wednesday. Lord, pray that you'd watch over them, watch over his little congregation there, Lord. Pray that as um, efforts are... Put in motion to bring brothers and and ones to there to serve, Father, that that would go smoothly and that they could feel the love of the fellowship and the love of the Father as, as as we would work to minister on their behalf and Lord, even we can rejoice that Brother Ed went back or went to his reward and now no longer suffers with the ailments of this fragile flesh and so Lord, we can be thankful but pray that you'd watch over his his family, his large extended family with Children and grandchildren and great grandchildren at this point, and that they would know and be able to rejoice as well at, at the witness that he was to to all. And pray, Lord, that one that we could all strive to to emulate. Lord, as we would look into your word in this day, we're we're thankful that we have the opportunity to do so. Pray that our minds and our hearts could be focused about it. Pray that we would rely on Thee to give us the inspiration in the direction where it's needful for our path. And so. As we would do that, we'll give thee thanks. Pray that you'd be with the other loved ones who can't be with us in this day and, and minister to them as well. And for it all, Lord, we'll give thee thanks and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I would ask you to, to turn with me to Mark chapter 6. I was actually uh, with Uncle David out. I had planned on having the Bible class this morning. Um, so I was in chapter five and had kind of looked over that, and then when word got around this morning of some of the illness going on, some of our responsibilities changed, and so I was left uh, looking for an inspiration for the morning service. And chapter six in Mark opened, along with a number of other scriptures that we'll we'll look into. Um, but a, a couple of thoughts just to ponder to start. Um, Last evening, I, I couldn't fall asleep, um, which is pretty atypical. I wake up a lot on the night, but usually the going to sleep part is pretty easy. But last night, I couldn't. And so I, I found myself listening to, to music and finding a bunch of CDs or, or albums that I didn't even realize, from artists that I like, that had not, I didn't realize had been released in the last year. And I was really blessed by some of the things. You know, in the middle of the night when you're finding a song... And I don't maybe this is a hazard of directing choirs at different times, but Tim can attest to this when I hear a song that a group's done, one of my first reactions is to go to try to find the sheet music and then he and I exchange this like we we should try to do a choir like we don't even have choir here very much anymore, but we're still looking for sheet music and I found a, a couple of songs last night that just really really struck me, and so as I was going off to sleep i there's a function in, in Apple Music where you can click on a song and create a radio station. And so I created a radio station and fell asleep to that radio station. And I don't know if this happens to you, and it's kind of funny that we're having, a, bringing the example as far as you know Apple Music, but radio stations and playing music as you're listening to it, how often are you listening to the radio as you drive or you hear that stream come across your phone Maybe it's Spotify, maybe it's Pandora, or whatever. And all of a sudden you go, why is that in there? A song pops in that you're like, that, I, I, that does not fit what I was looking for. It doesn't, that's not what I was looking to select. It happened to me last night, and I, I, I kind of woke up. I mean, as I was dozing off, all of a sudden this one that didn't fit the pattern popped in. And I thought, that just doesn't fit. As, we re- as we'll read this morning... I wonder, I, the, figuratively, if our lives were a radio station, or a streaming service, or a TV station. What would it look like to the rest of the world? What kind of message would we be would be we, we be giving out? And the question that came to me was, or was the admonition to me was, how many times are there things that I say, you know? Uh, Pick whatever the title or the, the theme for your radio station is. It's got a label on the bottom of it. But when somebody looks back at you and go, that song that I just heard on your radio station really didn't fit the message that I would have expected. It's a bit of a backdrop, but as, as we read uh, just a few verses from chapter 6 this morning, I hope it's something that we can maybe expand on a bit more. Um, Mark chapter 6, we'll start with verse 1. Actually, I should, for the benefit of anybody that wasn't in Bible class, let's talk about where we were just before. You just had the Bible class lesson of the uh, the woman who has this issue of blood. I got that right, right? That was the lesson. Okay. Two weeks ago, Jesus is in Decapolis. He comes back. He casts out the demons out of the man. He comes back across the Sea of Galilee. He's now on the shoreline. Jairus comes, and we have this exchange where you need to come heal my daughter. He's on his way to heal the daughter. This lady comes in and interrupts He heals the woman. Then he goes and heals Jairus' daughter. And all of these miracles are have happened in a very short period of time. A couple months ago, I had a message on this with the assumption, I'm going to presume, I'm not saying that this is 100% on this, this could have all happened over the course of a day. This monumental experience happens, and Jesus is now concluded with Jairus' um, Family, and he actually tells them to be quiet. Don't spread these things about. Just you know, give her something to eat, and, and don't don't spread this too wildly. And we find ourselves at the beginning of chapter six, and it says, and he went out from thence from Jairus's house, and came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many heard him. Hearing him, were astonished, saying, From whence have this man These things. And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judah, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. And Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house and he could not there do no might and he could there do no mighty work save that he laid hands on a few sick folk and healed them and he marvelled because of their unbelief and he went round about the villages teaching and he called unto the 12 and began to send them forth by two and two and gave them power over unclean spirits and he commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey save a staff only no script, no bread, no money in their purse, but be shod with sandals, and not put on two coats. And he said unto them, In what place soever ye enter into an house, there abide till ye depart from that place, and whatsoever excuse me, and whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear you, when ye depart thence, shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And they went out and preached that men should repent. And they cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. We'll stop with verse uh, 13. <clears throat> so we have Jesus uh, leaving Jairus' house. If if you remember, geographically where this was, this was along the Sea of Galilee, one side or the other. We don't know quite how far he had to go to get to Jairus' house, but we know that they at least started on the shoreline. And it says that he went back to his own country, going back to Nazareth. Not really that far. I, you know, I'm not good with the mileage part of things, but I, if you look on a map, it's relatively close. This isn't a a huge distance that he was traveling. And so it's fair to assume that word of what had happened on both sides of the lake and all the miracles that he had been completing in the countryside was something that had gotten back to everyone else. That they were aware, at least on the surface, of of what had happened. And it says that he went on the Sabbath day in to teach in the synagogue, and many heard him and were astonished. As his pattern was, right, he went as a, a good rabbi and Having his disciples with him, he went in and started to expound from the scripture. But the reaction is, is hilarious. It says they were astonished. And they said, where did he get this wisdom? And what is this wisdom which is given unto him? That even so mighty works are wrought by his hands. This was a man that they knew. You know, a few years before, he had gone away from them. And, but it, it sounds like up until his ministry began, he was a local. He was a local carpenter. He is this not the carpenter? Let's actually break these down. Is this not the carpenter? One interesting thing that I, I noted, or was kind of reading in some, some commentaries here, we always talk about Christ as a carpenter, thinking that he was uh, like a furniture maker, which is, could be completely correct, but the actual word that is used, carpenter, stands for builder, or it translates to builder. And if you look at what the construction methods were back then, it would have been a stone was the predominant building material of homes and things. So when in our, and it's not a bad thing, but in our mind's eye, as Uncle Scott would say, if we're looking in the Sunday school lessons and we're putting the felt board together, it was always Jesus with a hand plane. Or Joseph with a hand plane and big pieces of, of wood shavings rolling off. But I had to think, like, this, this may have been a contractor. He may have been one that was building, um, building walls or, or, or retaining walls along the hills in, in Nazareth. When we were watching the Vanderland series a couple of weeks ago, how many different stone gates were set up? And, and hitting with a chisel and a hammer these, these stones to hew them into something— and just gives me a, a bit of a different thought. Maybe not as, um, as t- certainly not, maybe not as technical, but not as um, meticulous of, of a task as, as putting furniture together, and, and especially the way that it's brought about here in Mark six, where they, they say, "Isn't he just? Isn't this a carpenter's son?" In our time today. I'm not going to disparage a particular occupation. But we know, or we can, in our minds, if you think of that like lesser occupation, or what we would joke about as being a lesser occupation, it almost seems like that's what they're suggesting here. Isn't isn't this a carpenter? The son of Mary. Not the son of Joseph. Normally it would have been the son of the father. You son of your father. Well, if he said you son of your mother, that's not a nice thing to say. This was a disparaging thing they're saying. Maybe it meant that Joseph had passed already, which is is one one thought. But to point out, even if he had passed, it would have the lineage would have come from the father. And is this isn't the son of Mary the brother of James and Joseph? Wonder what it means about James and Joseph. Like, isn't he their little brother? Maybe they relating it to this family. Th- these are folks we know. And by the tone that we read into it, rather unimpressive, they're assuming. Or we we can assume. And it says they were offended at him. I don't know why they would be offended. I don't know if the message was something they didn't want to hear. There wouldn't have been any inconsistency from what they had heard previously in the synagogue, preaching the scripture. But Jesus is taking this all in. He's He's in the synagogue back in his hometown and getting a terrible reception. This famous man that had hordes of people flocking to him on the Sea of Galilee just a few miles away now goes back home and nobody wants anything to do with him. They're they're maybe not embarrassed, but they're dismissive of him. This is a, a... Maybe it's a a trite anecdote, but Friday night we were talking about some of the folks that had gone to OCS, um, football players that had gone to OCS, this tiny little school out in the country, and over the course of five years, we had two players that went and played uh, Division One football and both played in the NFL. One of them still plays in the NFL today. It's mind-blowing that something like that. When I started at Onondaga Central, the football team was so bad, they canceled the season because they only had three people show up for the first practice. And there was just jokes. It was a laughingstock how bad they were. And by the time I graduated, we won a state championship and had two people in the NFL. And as Brene and I were recounting on Friday night, this is a badge of honor that any of us from OCS will recall. You know, I, the, I, there's a point to this, I promise. One of the gentlemen that still plays in the NFL today, his name is Latavius Murray. And he, when I was a senior in high school, he was in sixth grade. And he came to my, I worked for a, an after-school program, and he was in the after-school program. And in sixth grade, he was six foot, six two, six one, something like that, and could dunk a basketball. And we thought that was the coolest thing in the world, that this kid, could. you just knew he was a phenomenal athlete. And I will say with no shame that when I see him on TV, this is, my kids can attest to this, I routinely mention how I used to watch Ta- I used to babysit Tay while he was dunking basketballs at before and after school program of Liverpool at, in our gym at Rockwell Elementary. It would be ridiculous. It would be completely ridiculous for somebody that went down to Daga Central to to be watching football on a Sunday afternoon and go, good grief, can you look at that guy? What a joke Tay is. What a joke Latavius Murray is that he's not a pro bowler, that he's not more famous. You know what, I hope he doesn't come back to Syracuse and do a, a clinic at our school. I hope that they take his jersey off the wall because... You know, he just hasn't been successful enough. It sounds sounds silly. We would never do that. It is a prideful thing to have somebody reach a height of success and you have some kind of connection to them. And yet, terrible transition, I know. And yet, we're looking at a town here that, spirituality aside, the pure measure of a man that was going about and healing folks, casting out demons, had followers all around him. He got back to his hometown and they said, we don't want anything to do with you. They were offended of him. And Jesus' response is, a prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and his own house. You know, it's the king's English. Prophets are honored everywhere except at home with family in our own city. It was kind of an admonition to me. Right? How many people around us? How many experience how many how many people around us do we take for granted? Because of familiarity. Because we know we know each other too well. How often do we take for granted those experiences and those relationships that we have just because they're too close? And Jesus pointing out to the disciples, you know what? I'm not going to worry about this. Uh Prophet is not without honor, save in his own city. And we know it didn't, it didn't deter him so much, It says he wasn't able to do much mighty works there, save for laying hands on a few sick folk and healing them, which is almost as if you're reading. it's almost as if Mark's being sarcastic. And he wasn't able to do much except you know heal a couple people, as if that isn't a monumental thing. And he marveled because of their unbelief. pray that god pray that christ and god never marvels because of our unbelief it says that he marveled at the belief or marveled at the faith of the gentiles in john i think it is that's the kind of marveling we want from the lord but marveling at their unbelief to say i can't believe you've been given all of this experience you've been given all of this exposure to truth and to faith it's astonishing. Your, your unbelief is astonishing to me. But undeterred, he went around about in the villages and teaching, and then he calls his 12 and began to send them out forth, sent them forth, two by two, and gave them power over unclean spirits. So he's, he says that the ministry is now going to expand. He's going to take his disciples and send them out two by two, to be his hands and feet teaching and, and, and healing, uh, preaching. And he commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey, save a staff only, no script, no bread, no money in their purse, but be shod with sandals and not put on two coats. For the, um, you know, pre-planning or the, the, the very, I'm, I'm not super organized, but for somebody, for the Boy Scouts among us, Who wanna have everything prepared, wanna have everything set, organized, you know, whether it's your camping trip, whether it's your ski trip, whether it's your prepping on a Sunday night for Monday morning, you wanna have everything laid out. The kids' backpacks need to be packed, the um lunch boxes completed, water bottles filled, everything ready to go. Your briefcase is set your toolbox is filled, your, whatever it is, you're prepared for Monday morning. Christ is telling them, don't take anything with you. And in, our mind, in, my, in my mind, right off the bat, I'm going, this doesn't make any sense. Well, the interesting part was, and I didn't know this, what he was describing was the condition of a rabbi going into the synagogue. What he was describing was somebody that was undeterred, or, excuse me, uninhibited, by any earthly possessions, not carrying a, a bag with money in it, not worrying about how he was going to eat or how, where he was going to sleep or how he was going to get there, but having a singular focus to preach the word. He was describing, in, in many ways, ordaining, probably too heavy of a term, his disciples to go out and be him, be rabbis to those that he would teach or they, that they would teach. And so maybe separates a little bit for me why, there was, why I would be confused. Why would he tell them to go unprepared? We're supposed to be, go, be prepared in every scenario. And, and this is the time where he tells them not to do so. But be shod with sandals and not put on two coats. And he said unto them, In whatsoever place ye enter into a house, there abide till ye depart from that place. And whosoever shall receive you, nor excuse me, and whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear you, depart ye thence, and shake off the dust from your feet for a testimony against them, so going out and and, and sharing sharing the gospel, they were called still at this point they were going to be sent to to Jewish cities and sent to preach the word to the children of Israel. The interesting part was this. This whole description of like shaking the dust off your feet. Now we even use that now. In the same way we use that, um, the analogy of you know, Pontius Pilate wiping his hands. I'm going to wipe my hands of this situation. If there's somebody that treats us badly, I'm going to shake the dust off my feet. And then we like to show the, throw the punchline in the next part of the verse. And it'll be better than, for Sodom and Gomorrah than it would be for those folks. Because I shook the dust off my feet. Well the analogy was or the the practice at the time was when a Jew was leaving a gentile city as a a measure of um not really a curse but a, a, a what's what's the right word a dig I'm not you know what i mean i i, I can't think of, there's another word i'm looking for and i'm bad with this but as an an embarrassment or as a to Yeah, as a dig to that city, you would shake the dust off. I'm not even bringing any of that Gentile dust with me. And what Christ was telling his disciples here, he's like, listen, if these Jews don't take you in, if these Jews don't want to hear the message you have, you got to treat them like a Gentile city. Shake the dust off. Don't be concerned with them. And then doubles down to say, it will be better for Sodom and Gomorrah and the Day of Judgment than for that city, for that house. The reception that they were expected to have, they knew that this was going to happen. They knew that there was going to be bad reception, that they were not going to be brought in in every scenario and everybody was going to love them. And he was preparing them for that. But for me, I look back at the other side of it. When the words brought to me and someone has come to to share the word with me how do i receive that how do i receive that if i don't like what it sounds like i don't like who brought it to me do i push it away do i say i don't want to hear this now the analogy doesn't it doesn't play out 100% right i mean we need to discern the spirits we need to discern the word discern the messages that we're receiving and I'm not saying that we're putting ourselves in jeopardy of being Sodom and Gomorrah by saying that we could be cautious of what we bring into our houses. But the, the heart of how I receive a messenger, or receive a message, not a messenger, the heart of how I receive a message, where is that? Where is it founded in? And what kind of steps am I putting along the way to discern and judge the message that I'm receiving? And it says that they went out and preached that men should Repent. This, If you look at it in the Amplified, I want to read it for you. One, the Amplified doesn't say it exactly this way, but the the context would say, And they went out and preached so that men would repent. And they cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. Getting to this thought about what our um, radio station or TV station would sound or look like. Christ has sent us out in the same way that he sent out his disciples. We are his disciples. I mean, coincidentally, we're sitting in the aposto- apostolic Christian church. We, we follow after the path of the apostles, and in doing that, preaching the gospel to those that we, we come in contact with, that we seek to make contact with. But as we do that, what does our message look like? How are we proclaiming the truth? How are we proclaiming our testimony? The interesting part is if we read verse 12 and they went out and preached that men should repent, we kind of know what that looks like. We we know what that looks like and that's sometimes abrasive. That's sometimes the man with the sandwich cart that we use as the example standing on Marshall Street on your way up to the dome preaching hellfire and condemnation and talking about all the abominable things that happen in the world and how there will be judgment for all those things. And they are absolutely true. And that is, he reads that scripture that way and I won't fault him for that. But what struck me about it this morning was preaching so that men would repent. What does that look like? If we preach about the truth of Christ, preach about the love of God, his gift of salvation, the sacrifice of his son... The blessings of living in the Spirit, having a purpose, having a purpose here below as we experience eternal life starting on earth, giving us the peace and freedom of freedom from sin and a purpose to live after Christ. That's a reason that would cause people to repent. That kind of a message is one that would be preached so that men would repent. And as God's given the gift to each of us to share our testimony in different ways, sure, sometimes it's going to be preached that men must repent. And screaming and yelling and arms flailing and voice calling in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, sure. But what I was really encouraged by today was reading about how my, the message of Christ that I receive, and let's just use it in our testimony, sharing the testimony of faith that we have as believers. Sharing that with the world around us so that men would repent. Where did the thought for a lot of this come from? Last night, as I was listening to some songs, one of the phrases in the songs was, um, I don't even know how, I, it may not have even been in the song. I'm not sure where this came from, but what's your favorite Bible verse? Or sing your favorite Bible verse, something like that. And then one of the people in the song said, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And I couldn't remember where that was. I knew that was a verse. The thing is, to my shame, I know that that's a verse in a song. It's a verse in, or a phrase in a ton of songs. But I wasn't sure exactly where that was in Scripture. And so as I was looking in the dark last night, Psalm 107, verses 1 and 2. O give thanks unto the Lord for he is good for his mercy endureth forever let the redeemed of the Lord say so whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy I know that phrase let the redeemed of the Lord say so but i wasn't sure what the beginning part was what are we supposed to say let the redeemed of the Lord say what to give thanks unto the Lord for he is good for his mercy endureth forever And so the thought being, if I'm supposed to be proclaiming, Jesus sent his disciples out to preach that men would repent, so that men would repent. And he gave them the mechanisms and the description as to to how to treat their reception. If you're received well, stay there. Preach with them. Teach with them. If you're not, don't belabor yourself. The field is bigger. There are more places to go. He gave them the mechanism and then told them that they needed to preach that men would repent. And so if, if my me, if my direction, my commission is the same, and that I'm to be sharing the word and my testimony with all those around me, how am I doing that? What does it look like? Is it consistent? That radio analogy. In this day and age... W- We live in a, uh, I'm not going to go with TV stations. We we all know the bend of the different TV stations. If you turn on ESPN, you know what you're getting. If I ask Ethan in the morning, what are you watching? He says ESPN. Okay, I know what he's watching. It's all sports all the time. If I turn on the TV and he said, well, he would never do this, but if, if Ashley comes home and says, what are you watching? I say Fox News. Pretty consistent, you know what you're getting. Doesn't really happen, but if she said CNN and I said CNN, that'd be a different thing. We all know, where like, the title of what you're watching or what you're proclaiming is pretty clear and consistent. Because those things give you one shot. What is the title of my TV station? What is the theme of my, my radio station? WMHR. You know what you're going to get. You're listening to the focus on the family podcast. You know what you're going to get. I'm ashamed to say that depending on the day and depending on the time and what's going on, if you get me from seven to 5:30, six o'clock, Monday through Friday, I'm a Christian radio station mixed with a fair amount of politics and a lot of frustration. This week it was mixed in with a little bit of C-SPAN. I was watching C-SPAN and listening to, I love listening to Senate um, committee meetings. like when I don't even know what the right word is, but like committee hearings. I love listening to committee hearings. That's ridiculous. It's not a bad thing. Maybe it's a bad thing. You can judge for yourselves. But what comes from that is then the message that I'm bringing out whether it's at the dinner table, whether it's on the chairlift, whether it's at, you know, getting together with friends, the message that comes out afterwards, what does it sound like? What is the focus of it? Is there always a proclamation so that men would repent? I know we're not perfect. That's not going to be the case all the time. We're not going to have... Pray to God that we would have a consistent message 100% of the time. Probably isn't going to happen, but God help us if there's a contradictory message. Had a lot of conversations over the last couple months, and even continuing the last couple days, about Christian witness, and when we look what what is the witness of a believer in today's day and age, and we will look out at the horizon for for very very many believers, for Christians the message that comes out is mixed in with so many of those other stations that you lose the Christian radio station. You lose the message of faith. You lose the message of hope. I mean, when's the last time a believer or a Christian was was noted in mass media as someone with hope? When's the last time a believer was the person that was placed out there as the messenger of hope? But you know what? In my office, I need to work a lot harder to be the messenger, the example, the one proclaiming a hope. I shared, this has got to be 18 months ago, there was a a sermon that I had heard from Jim Cimbala that was talking about how bad the the message of, or how bad the witness of believers was when COVID was starting up and yelling about masks and all that kind of silly stuff. Unfortunately, that wasn't just something for that time. It had been before that, and it's continued after that. And the, remind, the reminder to me was Jesus saying, don't get discouraged. Don't, no, no, don't get discouraged. Don't get tied down. Don't dis- get distracted by those that wouldn't receive you well. If, you don't, if, if, if it's not going well, don't get distracted by that. You have a singular message that you are to proclaim. Preach the word so that men would repent. That men would repent. Speak of the hope that we have. Speak of the hope that we have here below, that we have for eternity, and how it all starts in the same spot, and that we need to be sharing that with the world around us so that when these other things are happening, when we have brothers and sisters that are sick, that it's, it's not destitute. Certainly we're doing everything we can to, to minister to them and praying that the doctors would do that, but recognizing that we can lay them in God's hands. I saw a testimony. Sorry, I'm running out. Brother Tom was in the hospital for for quite a while, and on Wednesday, when his, if I understand it correctly, when his kidneys really started to fail, the decision was to to take him off of all the life-saving, here's the non-medical guy, stuff that was taking care of him. And it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking to see. I mean, for... I hadn't seen him in in a while but as a as a young man was very close with one of his kids with with his son Ben and he was here for my baptism. He's the only minister he was the only visitor visiting minister here for my baptism. I'll always remember giving him a hug after my baptism and getting lost in that giant beard. But all of the testimonies that came out about him from Wednesday on from his kids uh Ben posted a bunch of photos of Brother Tom holding Ben as a baby, and then him holding his kids as a baby, his grandkids. And then one of his co-workers. I'd encourage you, if you're, if you're not, I'll find them for you if you want to see them. If you're not f- friends with any of those folks on Facebook, one of the blessings of Facebook is being able to see these things. One of his co-workers posted a tribute to him that wasn't wasn't flowery in a measure of he was a missionary to everyone here, and, but just spoke of the genuine, loving servant heart that he had. Quiet man that would speak no ill of anyone, but was a witness of love and faith to anyone that he encountered. Didn't do it with a sandwich cart on sandwich cart sandwich card on his chest, proclaiming condemnation to the world around him. But when somebody says that, you, that they leave a gaping hole of love by, by being gone, there's a recognition of where that came from. And pray that, as, that our lives would, would be that. That the radio station or TV station that we're proclaiming would be that same one that that brother was proclaiming. Not loud and boisterous, not making huge waves, but by a quiet, simple faith, you know, Micah 6:8, when that was the other one, when you think of your favorite verse, that's, that's one of mine. He has showed thee, O man what is good and what the Lord d- desires of thee, but to, do, but to hold on to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God is one of my favorites, and I'm going to find it so I say it right. He has showed thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord doth require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Pray that as we we walk and have different, different ways of doing it, where they say different strokes for different folks and different strides for different people, that the consistency of our message of faith would be one that the Lord would be honored by, and that one and one that would touch all those that we would come in contact with